How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Very good. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving dinner. We had a beautiful one. Um, we're talking uh, in this series about gifts. Today, uh, if you saw your notes, we're talking about the gift of security. Um, you know, uh, this gift, as many other uh, of God's gifts, uh, have uh, double meaning. Uh, one, one meaning is uh, the gift of security for eternity. You know, we, we are secured in our eternal life. Uh, Pastor Mark talked about that uh, last week, about the hope that we have in, in the eternal life when everything is going to be renewed. Uh, but the other meaning is uh, for the here and now. You know, security for the here and now. Eternal life does not start when you get there. It starts when you put your faith in Jesus. The Bible doesn't say, he who hears my words will have eternal life. It says, he has eternal life. So eternal life starts here. But the question is, what does it mean to have the gift of security while we're here? You know? um, if you think about it, you know, the, the way to know what that means is if you think of what is the result of a life of insecurity? If you don't have the gift of security, what happens in your life? Well, the result is fear. You know, you, you live a life full of fears. And fear is one of the biggest hindrances to, to enjoying the, the, the beautiful, the, the, the fulfilled life that God wants for you while you're here. Okay? So today we're going to study a psalm, Psalm 3. It's a psalm of King David. And it's a very interesting psalm because of the changes that go through uh, David's mind as, as he writes this prayer. Okay, so I'm going to read you the full psalm, and then we're going to study it in detail. Uh, the title of the psalm, if you Bible has title, says, A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Uh, Lord, how my enemies have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. But you, Lord, are my shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying out to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, Lord, save me, my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be upon your people, Selah. See, um, the Psalms um, are, are prayers, you know, very powerful, deep prayers. And, and if you read the book of Psalms, you're going to realize how they cover uh, all kinds of emotions that we feel and, and help us uh, process them through prayer. In this case, this Psalm is talking about fear. Uh, at this uh, time of his life, David had a lot of reasons to be afraid. There's an army literally trying to find him, to stop him and kill him. Okay? But if you see what happens in verse 6, all of a sudden he says, I will not be afraid. I actually can sleep very well. You know? So somehow David found a way to not just face but conquer his fears. You know? And I am sure that if we understand what went through his heart, it's going to help you as well. Okay? So in this psalm, we're going to learn two different things. We're going to divide our time in two. Uh, the first part, we're going to see how there are two different levels of insecurity that can attack you. Okay? And then we're going to see four things that David does that help him conquer those fears. Okay? So I put in your notes this, uh, two levels of depth of insecurity. See, in verses 1 and 2, 
David is expressing fear, but there are very different types of fear. See, verse one says, Lord, how my enemies have increased, many are rising up against me. So what type of fear is that? Well, the title of the psalm helps us understand it very clearly because the title says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. See, the context of this psalm, what's happening is that after a few family intrigues and a couple of murders, you know, Absalom, son of David, declares himself the king. And he raises up an army and he goes to Jerusalem to try and stop David and kill him. But somebody rushes ahead of him and gives David the heads up. So David takes off running. And this is why he starts saying, my enemies have increased, many are rising up against me. So, so his fear is very real. See, sometimes you read uh, some of the Psalms written by David and you think that he's paranoid, you know, because like, everybody's against me, they're all surrounding me and so, but you know, they are indeed chasing him and they want to kill him, okay? So this fear, we could call him, and I put this in your program, immediate fear. See, this is a very specific fear. What he's afraid of is for his body. He's physically afraid, okay? They are going to try to kill him. But then in verse two, we have something completely different. It says, verse two, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. See, this, this line might not sound very impactful until you start thinking about it from the point of view of the fact that David is the king of Israel. It, it, they, are, they are no longer attacking here his, his, or, or threatening his physical being, but his identity, his self of being, his character. So if, if you know the story of what happens there between uh, King Saul and King David, King Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed by God, but he disobeys God and he sins against God all the time. So what does God do? He abandons Saul and he takes away the kingship and gives it to David. He anoints David as king years before David gets to the throne. But Saul had been abandoned you know, by, by God, okay? And what his enemies are saying here is that God is doing the same thing now to David. If you go to 2 Samuel and read uh, chapters from 15 to 18, you see how Absalom is spreading the word in the, in, among the people of Israel saying, surely God has abandoned him as he abandoned Saul, okay? Just think of the things that David had done by this time of his life. You know, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He left her pregnant. And then to cover his sin, he has her husband murdered. So the people of Israel are starting to wonder, you know, how can our king be this type of man? Okay, so, so this is what's happening in verse two. The attack is not physical anymore. Now it's psychological. And in the eyes of David, it's spiritual. He says, there's no salvation for me in God. Okay, so this is a, a, a deeper level of insecurity that we can call, letter B, anxiety. See, we, we, we can call this anxiety. There's fear, which is specific, immediate, and then there's anxiety. And there is a very important distinction between the two of them. So in the middle of uh, last century, uh, a lot of psychologists, uh, sociologists, and some philosophers started analyzing the concept of anxiety. Because what, what they determined is that our generation is living with more anxiety than any other generation in the history of the world. And they started studying this in depth and they made a very clear distinction. Uh, one of those writers, a guy called Rollo May, wrote a book called The Meaning of Anxiety around 1950. And this is how described the difference between the two of them. He says, imagine that you are crossing the street 
And all of a sudden you see a car that is coming straight at you and really fast. You know, a shot of adrenaline hits you and you jump to the sidewalk and the car passes by. That's fear. That's very specific. You know, you see it, you are afraid and you jump. But if after the danger has passed, something lingers in your soul and during the whole day, you know, you remember how frail your life is, you know, how fragile you are, how passing you are, and the whole day you're feeling weird, that's anxiety. See, the first one, that fear can be something positive in your life. See, if you are a parent, I'm sure you have lived a version of this. You know, when, when our kids were small, we had four kids, so they outnumbered us. You know, it couldn't be a one-on-one defense. It had to be zone, you know, because there were more than Karin and I. You know, and sometimes we would take them to the park, you know, and one of our kids would go into the slide and the other one would play in a different, you know, little game. And all of a sudden you notice that the, the, the little one that it's on top of the slide trips and is going to fall. And you might be like six, 10 yards away from him, but the moment you notice that adrenaline hits you, you run and catch him before he hits the floor. And everybody wonders, how do you do that? How did you run so fast? Well, the experts say that what happens is that your autonomous nervous system, see, there is a system inside of you that is activated away from your will, you know, by something other than your will. In this case, fear activates it. So all of a sudden you get injected with this physical energy, you get this clarity of mind and time seems to slow down. You know, you catch the kid before it touches the ground. So, so that's a good thing. You know, it's a positive thing when you get that kind of fear. But the other type, it's, it's a little bit deeper. And, and, and what they identified is that it's not specific. You know, it's hard to, to identify the source of this thing that you're feeling. You know, you, you don't know exactly where it comes from. See, with fear, it's very clear. Cars coming, kids falling. You know, with, with anxiety, you don't know exactly why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And with fear, you know, it, it, it triggers an action. But anxiety, that's exactly the opposite. It debilitates you. It paralyzes you. It doesn't let you think clearly. It's hard to, to make good decisions. See, um, what they have discovered is that when anxiety takes root in your heart, your autonomous nervous system is always active. It's all the time on, okay? And the problem is, you know, you, you were not designed for that, so you start feeling sick. You know, because that, that system, it's designed for a fight or flight reaction, something fast that passes. But when it's on all the time, you're agitated all the time, you're restless all the time, you start getting high blood pressure, you start getting ulcers, you know, you, 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 it starts consuming you from inside. But the interesting thing is what these guys determined that causes anxiety. See, neither Rollo May or any of those psychologists that were studying this were Christians. They were not believers. But when they investigated this, they said, here is the cause. See, anxiety happens when something where you have placed your security or something that made you feel that you were in control or something that gave you your identity is being threatened. When your source of security or identity is threatened, it becomes destructive. And, and you know where you can see this very clearly? In, in the life of uh, professional athletes. See, when an athlete is active, the fear of failing makes them so good. You know, this is why they run so fast and catch so good and throw so well. It's, it's a good thing. But what happens when they retire, if their source of security was 
that, if their identity was like this super athlete, all of a sudden they're lost. They don't know who they are anymore. And this is exactly what David is describing here. This is no longer a physical attack or a physical threat. This is an attack on on his identity as the anointed king of Israel. You know, his sense of being is being threatened. And this is why the psalm begins in desperation. My enemies are increasing. You know, they are saying that you don't love me anymore. But what does he do about it? See, starting in verse 3, we see four things that David does. I put this in your notes. How do we get out of the abyss of fear and anxiety? See, verse 3 begins with a very important word that you should always remember. He starts saying, but, but you, Lord. See, every time a negative emotion starts invading your heart, whether if it's fear or guilt or anger or sadness, depression, anxiety, remember that, but you, Lord. This is not on me, this is on God. And and David is going to go to say three things in this verse 3. The first one is, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. So what does David mean? See, David is at at this moment hiding from Absalom. Does does this mean that he's saying, if I keep hiding here, your shield will protect me? No. You know what he's saying? He's, He's actually remembering what God wants him to go and do. Number one says, follow God in obedience. What David remembers is that he has to follow God in obedience. And I know what you're thinking. is like, where do you get that from verse 3? Where does it say there that he's supposed to follow God in obedience? Let's analyze what he said. He said, you are a shield around me. Okay? Uh, in those days, there were two types of shields. You probably have seen illustrations or movies, you know, where there's battles, you know, that, that time. One of the shields was a small shield that it's easy to move. It was strong, but, but easy to maneuver. That was designed for one-on-one combat. So you've seen it in movies. You move the shield according to where the attack is coming, okay? So, so it makes you flexible. You can move fast. But that's not the shield that David is talking about because he says, you're a shield that surrounds me. This, this one does not surround you. The other type of shield was a very large shield, was almost the size of a person, and it was a semicircle. That one surrounded you. I'm sure you have seen that in some movies, how they use these huge shields. But the interesting question here is, what were those shields used for? Because they were not used for one-on-one battle. You know, they were usually used when the soldiers were following their general to take over a fortress, you know, a, a castle, a city that was walled. You know, they usually put them all together. You know, they put some above and they started getting closer and closer and closer with these shields. Okay, so they only used these shields when they were going to face great danger. So this is not a shield that gets you out of danger, but a shield that gets you into danger. You know, you would use it on purpose when you knew you were going to face this great danger because once you got close to the wall, what happened? From above the wall, arrows, you know, rocks and boiling oil and stuff. So, so these shields were used when you knew you were going there and there was going to be danger. So, so what David is saying is, I'm afraid, but you're a shield around me. That means I am afraid, but I know that I still have to follow you in obedience, even if what I am going to face is dangerous. Because this shield only works when I move forward in obedience. In other words, you're not going to protect me from danger. You're going to protect me in danger, in the middle of danger. 
Sometimes the very dangerous things that we have to face because we follow God in obedience are the protection of God. You know, sometimes they frighten us, but God is protecting you by saying, move forward, go towards that danger. I'm your shield that surrounds you. So we obey God even when we don't understand what he's doing. Because if we disobey, you understand what happens if you disobey? The shield stops working. See, if one of those soldiers all of a sudden changed his mind, got afraid and started running, he becomes vulnerable. He doesn't have the shield to protect him anymore. So for us as believers, we have two choices. We can obey or we can disobey. The Bible says to us, you need to obey even if God leads you to a place that looks frightening. We all know that obeying can be very hard and sometimes very confusing, especially when you pray and pray and that for what you're praying is not happening and things look darker every time and God says, still obey, it becomes very hard. But what's the alternative? See, to obey can be hard, but disobeying can be lethal. And this is why uh, as believers, what we do is we move forward towards battle as impossible as that battle seems. David learned that lesson very young in his life. Do you remember why he was famous by that time when he was very young, like 16 years old? Because he went and fought against Goliath. He was just 16 years old. And Goliath, who was a career soldier, comes and starts insulting the armies of the Most High God. And David is like, why are you allowing this? He's challenging God. Let's move forward. Let's go against him. And everybody's like, you're crazy. You know, I, I remember an um, anecdote that Sig Ziglar uh, told us once. He, he shared this story with his son, Tom. When Tom was a little boy, Tom's now an adult, married with children. But when he was like five years old, Sig uh, told us a story about how he told the story of David and Goliath and then asked Tom, do you see who's the braver one here? And Tom thought about it for a few seconds and said, Goliath. He's like, did you not understand the story? And he read it again, you know. David was just 16. Goliath was a giant. He's like, who's the most brave person in this story? Goliath. He says, how do you figure? He's like, he was going against God. It's like David was with God. Goliath was against God. You need to be brave, Dad. <laughs> and that's what David knew. He knew that when God says go, you go. Even if it looks like you're going to lose. If the enemy looks invincible, God is your shield that surrounds you when you follow him in obedience. But that's not all he did. See, number two, it says relocate your glory to the right place. Relocate your glory to the right place. See, in the second part of verse 3, David says, but you, Lord, are, first he says, my shield, and then he says, my glory. I am afraid, I am anxious, but you are my glory. Um, that's a strange phrase, if you think about it. You know, many times in the Bible, we, we read where it says, the glory be to God, you know? All the glory is to, but David here says, you are my glory. Why did he say that? See, I think that David is confessing something here because what he's saying is, you were not my glory not too long ago. See, David is experiencing anxiety because all the things in which he had based his security and his identity had been taken away from him at this time of his life. See, in the beginning of his kingship, he could have said, I am a very popular king, you know, and my security comes from that fact. But he's not popular anymore. 
You know, people have found out what he has done. His son has made sure that everyone knows, and he's not popular. Or he could have said, I'm a good father. But it's his own son that's chasing him. So he can't base his security on that anymore. Or, or he could say, well, I'm a righteous person. He committed adultery and murder. He cannot base his security on that either. Or, or at least, well, I'm the king, I have the power. But he's running away. He's in hiding. So none of those things he has anymore, they have been taken away. So he's uh, confessing something here. He's saying, yes, I was full of anxiety, but that's because I have placed my glory in my popularity, in the love of my family, in my own righteousness, in the power that I had as a king. All that stuff was my glory. So listen, there is a practical application for you here. Are you feeling anxiety right now? If you are feeling anxiety, here is the cause. There is something good in your life where you have located your glory. You know, I don't know what it is. Your glory might be in, in, in your image or, or, or in the job that you have, you know, the amount of money that you have. Maybe you have a position of power, of leadership, and this is where you get your sense of security. You know? and, you know, and, and listen to the fact that I said something good in your life. Because it's good to have a good job. It's good to be in a position of leadership. It's good to take care of your body and have a good image. But if you place your glory on those things, you know, you're placing them on things that are temporary. That are vulnerable to the circumstances of life. And therefore, you're going to live with anxiety all your life. This is what David is realizing. He says, first, I have to obey God. I have to follow him in obedience. But second, I have to check my heart. Why am I so anxious? If you have located your glory on things that have been taken away from you or that are being threatened, this is why you're anxious. And you're feeling excited. You see, the solution is not to pretend that you're not anxious. You know, sometimes that's a religious way. No, I'm, I'm, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm going to cover my emotions. Everything is okay. That's not the right way to do it. Or cry yourself to sleep. The solution is you need to identify the source of your anxiety. See, anxiety is, is, is like smoke. If you follow the smoke, you find the fire. Follow your anxiety. What's causing it? And it's going to show you that there's something good in your life that you have given more importance to that than to God himself. This is what David is doing. He's saying, I am going to relocate my glory. It's no longer going to be the approval of people. It's going to be the approval of God. It's not going to be to, that I serve the people so well. It's that I serve God so well. It's not that they love me so much. It's that you love me so much. Okay, so you need to relocate your glory if you're feeling anxious. But there's something else that I find very interesting. The third thing he says in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, he says, but you, Lord, are the one who lifts my head. That's a very interesting phrase. Think of what kind of people walk with their head high. You know, I, I was watching yesterday, I turned on the TV at the very end of a college game and they were playing overtimes, you know. I didn't know that they have changed the rules so much that the overtimes are super fast, you know. And, 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 and they were very close. They went back and forth and back and forth and boom, one wins. How does the winning team walk out of the field? How does the losing team walk out of the field? All of them looking down. You know, what type of people walks with their head high? the people that are proud of themselves, right? But here David is saying, you lift my head. So what he's saying is, 
but I know that you are proud of me. You are very proud of me. See, what David is saying is, okay, it was good to have the admiration of the people and the love of my family and the power of being a king, but they are no longer going to be the source of my identity. If I know that I have your approval, that you are proud of me, I don't need any of that stuff. So when he realizes this, he recuperates his sense of being. It's like, no, you do love me. There is salvation for me in you. So he no longer has anxiety. There are still frightful things out there. Absalom still chasing him, but he doesn't have to face these things with anxiety. And this is also very important for us. Because my hope, my prayer for us today is that you're going to walk out of here realizing that you don't need to live with anxiety in your life. But the situation out there has not changed. You know, there's still a pandemic. There are still people getting sick. There's still a problem with the economy. And Republicans and Democrats are not going to become best friends. Okay? So there, there's still a lot of things going on out there. But you don't have to face those things with anxiety. Okay? So, you know, uh, we need to remember that we can face those things that frighten us but we don't have to be anxious when we know that God is proud of us. Now, the question here that I made myself when I read this the first time is like, how does David know that God is proud of him? I mean, David failed as a king, as a father, as a believer, and he's saying, you lift my head on high. How does he know? I I hope you realize that this is the key of everything. How do you know that God is proud of you? If you know that God is proud of you, You're going to live your life without anxiety. But how do you know? Well, look at what David did. Number three in your notes is you fix your mind in the substitute, which is what David did. So how does David know? He gives us a clue in verse four. Verse four says, I was crying out to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. You know, I looked in the Bible to try to search another instance where that line is written. You are going to find a lot of Psalms, some of David, some of other people, where they say, I prayed to God and he answered me. Or people that are saying, I'm praying, please answer me. The only place in the entire Bible where someone says he answered me from his holy mountain is here. So David is making a reference to his holy mountain. That's Mount Sinai. That is the place where they built the first tabernacle. That's where the sacrificial system started. So David is remembering that there is a way to deal with his sin, that God has provided a way to deal with his sin. See, David is doing something here that I oftentimes tell people that you should do yourself. He's preaching to himself. He's remembering verses. You know, I I always tell people, you need to have some verses so that when you face certain things, you can preach them to yourself. And, And David here is remember verses, but from the Bible that he read. See, at that time, what, what they had was the Torah, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament. And I am sure that David is thinking of one of the most amazing passages in the Old Testament that is found in Genesis 15. Why? Because in Genesis 15, God is trying to calm the fear of Abram, not yet Abraham. You know, he's trying to calm the fears of Abram, and he's going to use the same words that David uses in Psalm 3. I want you to hear them. Genesis 15, verses 1 and 2, it says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. He uses exactly the same word that David used. I am your shield, 
your very great reward. Okay, so, so, so Abram is afraid. God comes to him and tells him, I'm your shield. David is afraid. He goes to God and says, like, you are my shield. But did you notice how does Abram respond? He says, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? See, chapter 15 in Genesis is the second time where God promises Abram that he's going to bless the entire earth through him. Now, you're going to be the father of nations. You know, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Your descendants are going to be more than the stars. And through your line is going to come the redeemer who's going to take the sin away from the world. And what Abram is answering is like, and how do I know? How can these things happen? How, am I, how do I know that you really love me and you're really going to bless me? And what happens next is it's amazing. And this is why I, I imagine the people of the Old Testament, these were the verses that they remembered as you remember verses about the cross. They remember these things. See, what happens next is God says to Abram, okay, go and get some animals, kill them and cut them in pieces. The moment that God says that to Abram, Abram knows that he's about to enter into a covenant with God because that was the way that contracts were done in those days. You were going to do a contract with another person. You would get an animal, kill it, cut it in pieces, and the two of you would walk between the pieces of the animal. The meaning was, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, may the fate of this animal befall on me. Okay, that's how contracts were, were done. So Abram thought, God is going to make me enter into a covenant with him. I'm going to have to promise something to God here. But to his surprise, that is not what happens. You know, read the chapter when you get home later on. A, a deep darkness falls on Abram. He feels very afraid. But all of a sudden, he opens his eyes, and what he sees is a blazing torch that is moving between the animals. You know? so, so this is what we call a theophany. God appears in the form of a torch, and, and what he's saying to Abram is like, yes, I am making, I am promising these things to you, but I am identifying myself with the animals. The message is, I promise to bless you. I promise that I will be your shield, and I am going to redeem all the earth through your line. I'm going to take all your sin, even if I have to be sacrificed. Even if I have to pay for your disobedience, I am going to bless you. So David is remembering these things and he can say easily, I know you're proud of me because you're not seeing me. You're seeing the substitute, the one that is going to do this for us. Now, David doesn't know how God is going to do these things, but you and I do. Because darkness descended in Calvary, you know, when, as Isaiah put it, Jesus was caught from the land of the living as a substitute. And when you and I fix our mind in that substitute, we know that God loves us and that he's proud of us because he doesn't see us. He sees his son who was willing to live a perfect life and then die for us. As much as you understand that and because of that, God becomes your glory. You're gonna have security. Now that's gonna be the source of your identity and what you're going to receive in your heart is Peace, which is what happens with David. Look at what follows in verses five and six. I lay down and slept. Do you sleep at night? Because like I was anxious, but I remember these things and now I slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against all around me. If you fix your mind in the substitute, all of a sudden you're immune to this anxiety and there's peace in your heart, and then that debilitating feeling that paralyzes people, it's away from you. And then you move forward 
to serve God and to serve the people that God wants you to serve, even if you feel afraid. Because look at what happens. Once this anxiety is gone, look at what happens next. Verses 7 and 8. Arise, Lord, save me, my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be upon your people. He's no longer anxious. He's no longer paralyzed. So what does he want now? He wants justice. For whom? For his people. He knows Absalom is not going to be a good king, that he has not been anointed by God. So what is David doing? Number four, he's thinking of other people. David is showing here that he truly loves his people. Because you see, only when you love other people and, and loving someone is giving yourself for them, your fears are really going to disappear. People that are afraid are always thinking of themselves. They only think of their needs. But when you start thinking of someone else and living for God, doing what he wants you to do for other people, that fear disappears. So you follow him in obedience to do the things that he wants you to do even if it frightens you. And you know who's the best example of that? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there was a moment in his life when he was very afraid. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he was sweating drops like blood, that his anguish was so bad that he felt like dying. He was scared to death because his general had let him to a path that was going to end up in his death. He knew he was going to end up in a tomb. All his disciples thought that that was a dead end, but he did not allow his fear to stop him from obeying God and serving the people that he sent him to serve. He followed him in obedience to that tomb. But thanks to God, that was not a dead end. There was resurrection on the other end of that tomb. So listen, there is going to be resurrection at the other end of any event that God leads you to. You hold his hand, you go with his shield and move forward in obedience even if it frightens you. See, we're talking about best gift for Jesus. And you heard on that video, you become the gift when you live for him. So if, if you feel anxious, if you feel afraid, follow him in obedience. Locate your glory completely on him. Keep your mind fixed in the substitute. Give yourself for the people that he sends you to save. And he's going to heal you from your fears in your fears. And that is the gift of security. Let's pray. Father, um, I just want to thank you for, for this word that you left for us because you know that we're living through scary times. There's a lot of things out there that frighten us. But thank you for showing us that we don't have to live with anxiety, that we don't have to live these things paralyze us, that you are proud of us. You have planned for us. You have purpose for us. Let us, Father, move forward in obedience, even if it frightens us, knowing that you are here with us and you're going to lead us and you're going to fight the battles for us as you fought them for David. Give us that strength, Father. Disappear the anxiety in our hearts and help us move forward even in the face of fear.
We thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness because we know you always fulfill your promises. We thank you in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. Amen.